Have you ever dreamed of one day owning your own business, but just don't know where to begin? Then you've tuned into the right show. On All Things Franchising, you will hear from top national franchisers, successful franchisees, attorneys, CPAs, and others who support this fast-growing business model. So grab a cup of coffee and pen and notepad because you will want to capture the invaluable information you hear on today's show. And now, here is your host, Linda Ballesteros. Hey folks, welcome to All Things Franchising. This is Linda Ballesteros. I am your host today. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm always honored when someone finds time uh, to spend with me and out of their busy day. So just as the title of the show says, All Things Franchising, well, we're going to look at a different side of franchising today. We're going to look at, is your business ready to be franchised? I recently read an article in the Entrepreneur Magazine that went like this. All too many business owners think franchising as some kind of magic pill that will cure the ills of a business through the economies of scale that come from unfettered expansion. It's not. I'm frequently approached by business owners who are so enamored with franchising that they fail to realize there must be a sound and profitable business at the core of every successful franchise. So you don't go into a franchise and expect that will help you become financially uh, stable. You have to have that foundation. It's the infrastructure that has to be built today um, before you can even franchise. So today my guest is Tom Spadia. He, is, he spent more than 15 years in corporate and entrepreneurial positions before completing law school. Today he is a franchise attorney and the founding member of the Philadelphia Franchise Association and is the current president and chairman. Please help me in welcoming Tom to the show. Hey, Tom, welcome to the show today. Hey, Linda, thank you so much for having me. And, and you know, thanks for doing this show as well. I think this is a, a really important topic and um, looking forward to diving into it. Absolutely. You know, Tom, I'm, uh, I usually have franchisors on the show, and uh, they talk about where they are at that point. But we never really dive too deeply into what it looked like prior to them being uh, taking on the franchise model. So before we dive into that topic, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you decided to uh, focus on franchising when you came out and became an attorney. Yeah, no, I, I um, you know, I, I, like a lot of things in life, it's sort of, you know, life finds you necessarily and you finding uh, your own path. And, and I've been very blessed mm-hmm. and, and happy. I, I was an entrepreneur. I come up from an entrepreneurial family. I, I grew up on the East Coast. My family was always in manufacturing. A lot of that stuff sort of has, you know, gone away and disappeared. I found myself um, in my late 20s after owning a small business turning to business resales. So I became a friend, and this was long before law school. Um, I started focusing on business resales and I actually did some originally thinking manufacturing, but found out those companies having the same issues. So I found franchising as a franchise broker and I would help people who were 
coming out of, say, corporate America or transitioning, looking and matching them to the right franchise opportunity. From there, I got hired by a national franchisor, Rita's Italian Ice. I mean, you know, it, it sounds all looking back on it like a perfect path to where I am today. But basically, I was, you know, mortgaged, two young kids and, and kicking around the idea of law school. And that steady paycheck was great. And I really thrived. I enjoyed it. I joined the International Franchise Association. This is back in the mid-2000s. I got my CFE, Certified Franchise Executive, and started selling franchises while going to law school at night. Finished my degree, and that was around the time I I teamed up with Josh Liana, the other named partner. Um, Him and I played football in high school together. We've been best friends for 30 years. And, you know, he started in trademarks and intellectual property. And, you know, we just opened the doors as, as a franchise law firm. Uh, started slowly and now it's been I can't believe it it's um you know over 8 years now and all we do is franchising nice so as i said at the top of the show we're going to look at at these brands these concepts before they even hit the the and and launch themselves as a franchisor so let's talk a little bit about that tom do you see that there are specific industries that would be a better match and to, to to embrace that franchise model over something else and then you know we all think of or many of many of the people and you know this many people think of burgers and fries but that has expanded right. so much um, but do you see one industry benefiting better by the franchise model <clears throat> I don't think so. I think that the way I had these early conversations with people who were thinking about it, I think if there's a need for a local business owner, you know, the, the successful franchises, why you see a lot of food, and, you know, it's probably only a third of our clients. I mean, most, you know, it's like an iceberg. What the public sees of franchising is what breaks above the waterline, but most of franchisors are, are probably in the service businesses. And mm-hmm. I think it's, you have to think about how the clients are serviced. If there's a reason that an entrepreneur who can go to the chambers of commerce and who can knock on doors and who can be the brand locally, um, and all of those sales can be concentrated. I think that's when, which obviously works in food, but it works in service. You could be a roofer. You could be a locksmith. Um, I think the local nature, anything that's kind of competing against Amazon or national, or you can have clients anywhere, although there's some franchises like that, I think that's a heavier lift. So I think it's less about the type of industry. The most important thing, honestly, is the type of entrepreneur. I think that's more important. And I think it's the is the is the owner, the founder, do they have the mindset and skill set and personality to be a good franchisor? I'd take that over the type of industry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting because I tell anyone that I work with, it's it's not about the widget. Let's take the widget off of the table. Let's look at a lot of other totally. things before totally. we actually decide um, what widget you want to go with. So talk to me a little bit more about that entrepreneur who wants to become, who wants to take their um, whether it's a mom and pop shop or maybe they have several locations now and talk to me what they should start thinking about and how far ahead they should be thinking when they want to someday franchise the model. Yeah. So I, I think there's, 
there's two the two most important things for an entrepreneur who has a successful independent business that is contemplate franchising have to keep in mind. Number one is you're entering a different industry. So just like you said, the widget doesn't matter, the burger and fries versus you know, that's why we give similar advice to all different types of businesses because it's the franchising industry itself that they're entering. So they may be an expert at their business and they've done this for five, 10, 15 years and they're great at it, but now they're day one as a franchisor. So that's number one. It's a different, you now are the CEO of two businesses, your core business and the franchising business. That's number one. Number two is patience. It takes a while. And you know, there you have to be wary of the people who say, "Oh, franchising is so easy." You know, you just get an uh-huh. FDD and you're off to the races. Um, it's uh-huh. much harder and takes much longer. And I'm not saying to scare people away, but it's a get-rich-slow scheme. I like to say, you know, uh-huh. now the reason you franchise is because you have this tremendous horizon where you can really exponentially grow your business, and you're taking a small business that's maybe making, you know. 100,000, 200,000 in profit. You know, it's paying for your kids' college. The reason you franchise, pay for your grandkids' college. You know, Mm -hmm. I tell people if you want to double or triple your income over the next five years, don't franchise. Honestly, it's there's there's too many moving parts. You're learning a new business. You know, just open a couple new locations and you'll be on a better path. But if you want a shot, so then people say, why would you ever do it? You franchise for the the shot at 50 to 100x over you are now in five to 10 years. And there are a few industries, software maybe, things like that. And I think you have to get into that mindset that it's a big play. Build the infrastructure. You have to have the right mindset. You have to be patient. You have to be thinking about where's this business five to 10 years? Because quite frankly, your first two years of being a franchisor, if anybody tells you different, tell them to call me. You're probably not going to make money. You're, you're going to be right. spending money, investing money. You know, the first couple franchisees, the reality is the royalties you get, the franchise fees, they're going to go out the door and then some if you're doing it right. So you're doing it to build this long ramp that, um, you know, and that they're the two biggest things I think people have to keep in mind. You're entering into mm-hmm. a different industry, and it's going to take a while to do right. So, Tom, when you talk about it taking a while, so should someone start thinking maybe if they want to franchise in, I don't know, 2025, should they start thinking now about this? How long, how far ahead? Because there's got to be, like you said, there's got to be an infrastructure in there, and that doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, I think it's never too early. I mean, the truth is there are people who we have taken to the franchising market and they turn out that they don't like franchising for whatever reason. There's no right answer here. But the truth is they're better businesses because they went through the franchising process. So, you know, I'm a big believer in Michael Gerber's book, The E-Myth. I read it to start my law firm, quite frankly, right? I mean, that you know, you, you need to think about. So if you think about your business as a franchisor, you start thinking about your business a little bit more objectively and a little bit more on a scalability standpoint. You know, they'll have the processes in place. So I think a business owner from the day they open the doors, they should be thinking about franchising even if they never franchise because it'll make their business a more scalable, a more professional, a more documented, 
you know, I, I, I had a boss many years ago that used to always hit, hammer, you know, if you can't measure it, you, you can't fix it. And I think that's something that any independent business should be thinking, hey, I, I should be going down this path even if I never pull the trigger. So, no, it's never too mm-hmm. early. Mm-hmm. And so, Tom, as you start working with someone <clears throat> that has come in to your office with their their concept and maybe they've been running it locally, they've got a couple of locations, um, where do you start with them? Uh, I know we've kind of talked in general, but what is the first step? What homework do you send them home with and say, then come back and we'll talk more? Well, the first thing I'm going to tell them is to listen to this little podcast we're doing, <laughs> because I think these lessons about, yeah. you know, you're getting into a different business. Quite frankly, I try to talk them out of it. You know, are you ready yep. for this March? It's like, it's like you're coming to me and saying, I want to become an Olympic swimmer. Okay. Well, then you have to get up at 6 a.m. and jump in the pool. Are you ready for that? And if they can pass that test of, I really want to do this, that is a first good tell for me. Um, mm-hmm. this, the other thing, very foundational, intellectual property rights. You got to get your trademark secured. You need a federal trademark. You need to think about the name of your business. And that, unfortunately, for a great many of people who want to franchise their business, they never – they they name their business – and I don't want to go down on the complete rabbit hole here, but mm-hmm. um, basically – there's sometimes some structural issues with their name. They don't have a federal trademark. Their name is too descriptive. Even if they have a trademark, there's others who have the name. So you got to start thinking about what does this brand look like when it's a few hundred locations or a few thousand, and we need to strategically think through that. So way before we talk about the FDD and the franchise agreement, I want to make sure we have an understanding of the branding and the name, and it's much easier to get that right. So that's a foundational issue that that should happen very early in in the process um mm-hmm. and i also think you know you, you made a comment about the multiple locations although that is better it's not necessary i think that there's a disconnect when people think about like ooh, i'm going to be a franchisor and i'm going to flip on the light and i better have my infrastructure and i need all these locations you know the truth is actually in between that there's nothing wrong with a franchisor going in with one location good history, and you know the FDD, the franchise agreement, that process, it's not that onerous. The bigger problem is when they try to grow too fast. Oh, I yes. build all this infrastructure. Now I need to go sell 50 units, and that's a real recipe for disaster. I'd rather say someone, let me get my trademark, let me get my FDD, and let me maybe convert one of my top managers to be my first franchisee so that I can learn what it's now like to go from being the player to being the coach. How good am Mm -hmm. I going to be as a coach? Let me do two deals in the first year. You do two good deals in the first year as a franchisor, I call that a wild success. And that is counterintuitive Mm -hmm. to, I think, what a lot of advice people give of, like, let's ramp this thing up and do 20 deals. Mm -mm, Wheels are going to come off. You won't be ready. Absolutely. Um, It's interesting you say that because uh, when I'm looking at – the franchise, when I'm looking, getting ready to present um, a brand or a concept to a client, I really look at their retention rate, especially. That's one of the first things I look yeah. at because I don't, I don't care what everything looks like. If they can't, if their retention rate is not good, there's no way I'm going to present that. There was a brand 
that um, I had looked at probably several years ago. And retention rate was good. It was probably about 80%. That's not horrible. And it just in the last couple of years, they did exactly what you described. They grew way too fast. Tom, their retention rate now is 28%. Oh, that's terrible. And they have yeah, litigations. Terrible. They had like, yeah. last time I looked, they had like three or four litigations. So, and, and, the, and the widget is good. The right. widget is good. It has, the widget doesn't mean you're going to be successful. That's the bottom line. Well, it, but they it, ended it, up it, bringing it's... all family in. And that's a shift that that mom and pop place, somewhere along the line, they have to realize that mom and pop, they, they don't have the capability to take it to the next level. So is that another conversation that you have with them as well? Yeah, I mean, that, that kind of goes into the, I mean, it's a great point, and that is something that it's wonderful that you give that advice to prospective franchisees, and franchise, prospective franchisors should be thinking that same thing. Mm-hmm. Your franchisees have to make money. They have to be good matches, and if you're not sophisticated enough, then you should outsource it and get the right people in, but that's that learning, right? You can't. The reason franchisors, you know, on the good side, right, when you get 10 years in and you have 100 locations, the reason that they sell for $15, $20 million is because of how difficult the journey is and how you can't force time, right? It's like growing a tree, right? I, my personal hobby, I like to garden and I'm into my vegetables and that. But there are certain things that you can, you can put every system in place and you can yell at those vegetables, but guess what? They have their own time to grow. And mm-hmm. it's the same thing in franchising. It just takes time to have the system and the culture and the core values and all the things that make up solid systems. They take time. And great business models or great widgets are sometimes the worst enemy of a new franchisor for exactly what you said. Everybody wants to jump on the bandwagon and everybody wants to sign up and then the franchisor just – they just have too many customers. It's like when a new restaurant opens and they end up getting bad reviews because they just weren't ready for the crush of the busyness, and they never can yeah. recover from that. Um, so right. it's the same thing with a franchisor. Um, yeah, no, I, I think retention rate, it's critical. You know, So that, I, I tell people, look, I'd rather see you do two good deals in one year than five yeah. deals with two bad ones. So even though in the second – Example, you end up with one better deal. You have three good deals. Two bad deals are what kill you. They're mm-hmm. what kill you is the franchisees are upset. They're, they're a time suck. They're upset at you. You're upset. They're not listening to you. And it's this terrible um, feedback loop. The most important thing a new franchisor, and I, I tell everybody this, the, the single most important thing that will determine success and failure um, in addition to picking the right franchise where, no, I'm just kidding about that. Uh, (laughs) The single most important thing is who the franchisor selects as franchisees. That is, it's everything. And that sounds so obvious, but it's, it's, it's recruitment. It's not sales. You know, you're basically, you're going to bring on folks who are then going to run that business. And then they're the ones who are going to talk to the next generation. So those first five, are going to dictate the culture of the brand really forever. It's going to be the thing that, that, that grows or it cycles back. So mm-hmm. I, I have this 
I had this job. I do training, right? So when we when we launch a brand, we do like an all hands on deck. Okay, here's how we're going to write the FDD, our three month process. Here's our you know the trademark guy. Here's the the regulatory lawyer. And then when we launch, we do another one. Okay, now you have an FDD. Here's here's how you sell. Here's how you stay legal. Blah blah blah. Or what you can say. And one of the things I I say in there, I heard this from an old timer that I loved. He said, think of you instead of accepting a thirty thousand dollar check from the franchisee. Would you feel differently about that person if you had to write them a $30,000 check? Now, the economics don't work, so nobody's going to do that, but it makes a franchisor stop and think, am I really recruiting this person? Would I, do I think they're such a superstar that I would write them a check to wear my corporate colors? And that's how you got to think about it. You're recruiting them. They're not buying a franchise, and if you can get into that mindset, they're the brands that really grow, and, and I've seen that with, with our clients. Right. And just as you mentioned earlier, sometimes those franchisors get into a bit of a frenzy to uh, expand too quickly. And therefore, they're not always making the right decision when it comes to bringing on a franchisee. It almost uh, takes on the energy of a desperation and uh, if you can fog a mirror, okay, fine, you've got one of our you know, you've been awarded this territory. So uh, like you said, there needs to be a process there. Do you help them in, in really getting clear on who their franchisee is and how to target that person? We do. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's more of these sort of coaching conversations. We try to be the coach of who's going to be the future coach, but we do. I mean, that's a, a big part of what we try to bring to that table, we try to be the the, the, the break a little bit. Like as much as l- lawyers get a bad reputation of like you know killing deals and slowing things down, sometimes you need a little bit of a governor on the wheel here to, to, to do that. So yeah, we talk a lot about that, about thinking about who the right franchisee is going to be. Are they capitalized? Are they going to spend the amount of money necessary to come out of the gate strong? You know, a lot of our clients, and I love them, they're entrepreneurs. So many independent businesses bootstrap this thing. You know, they built their business on a credit card. They probably wouldn't even qualify when they started their business for what they're going to sell as a franchise. And so they have to break that cycle that they're not selling the franchise to themselves. They're selling mm-hmm. the franchise to a different personality. The personality and skill set of a franchisor is very different than the personality and skill set of a franchisee. Uh, it comes to earnings claims. We talk about like putting in numbers and that, and they try to overpuff it, and you start thinking, wait, you know, well, I would never buy that franchise unless they told me that. Correct. And I, you would probably never buy a franchise because you're an entrepreneur. You created something out of whole cloth. You built an independent business totally different. You're a different – you have a higher risk tolerance. You have um, a higher tolerance for ambiguity, uncertainty. That's what makes you a franchisor. A franchisee, they want guardrails, they want different kind of coaching. So, yeah, so these kind of conversations, we try to tease out so the franchisor knows, okay, who am I really looking for? And then, quite frankly, team up with professionals like yourself to validate and push that even further um, Mm -hmm. so they can get started. It really takes a couple of years, I think, until a franchisor – starts getting their sea legs, not just, you know, from pre-launch, but post-launch. 
Mm-hmm. There's certainly a mind sh- uh, a mind shift, mindset shift there, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, you you have yeah. to. Well, that's that second business, right? Is try to get mm-hmm. them to be, you know, humble enough to know that okay, I'm now the student. I was the teacher. You know, I can tell you about the best way to change locks or the best way to, you know, whatever the business is, flip these burgers or 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 run this 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 studio. But now I'm a franchisor and I'm on day one. And some entrepreneurs thrive in that. I mean, most entrepreneurs are lifelong learners. They love reading these books. They're into self-improvement. So, but that has to be that mindset of, hey, who can I talk to? I love when I get that question from prospective uh-huh. clients. Hey, uh-huh. who can I talk And I tell them, you know, go to, it's a shame with COVID, right? Because we're not having these events that I love, these personal right. events that I was doing once a month to go. Uh-huh. Franchising is wonderful. For anybody who's thinking of listening to this and thinking about the best thing about franchising is, and maybe Linda, you can speak to that too. We don't think of each other, even my competitors, even other franchise lawyers. It's a very open market. We're all sort of like, mm-hmm. hey, we want franchising to do well. So you'll sit in these roundtables and you'll hear from your competitor who will literally honestly tell you the secrets to their success. There are very mm-hmm. few industries that are that um, open and have that much camaraderie. And that, to me, is what I love it. I feel like this is my calling because I enjoy that part of it. Mm-hmm. And it's not just within that specific brand because each brand does try to create the environment of a family. And some do better than others, clearly, right. uh, just like anything else. But just like you said, Tom, I believe that the the spa franchise that's down the street, the owner of that franchise is open to talking about how they bring clients in to the the pet franchise <laughs> that's on the other yeah. side of the street. Excuse that. You know? There's COVID. <laughs> <laughs> understand. Understand. But, you know, they're very open to sharing the way that they are talking to clients, the way they're sending out newsletters or whatever it is to get in front of their clients, especially during, you just mentioned that word, COVID. So, um, you know, um, so for the folks that are listening to this recording, it is November the 9th of 2020. So COVID is still a part of our life. Um, Tom, tell me a little bit about how you have seen COVID change, um, not just the industry, but maybe the way the franchisors interact with their franchisees and their team. Yeah, no, it's a great, it, it, this has been a trying year for, for so many. And I think this, you know, just like people <clears throat> who had what they would say, you know, underlying conditions, you were going to get hit harder, hardest by the disease. I think in business, it was the same thing. If you had underlying conditions, if you didn't treat your franchisees yep. well, if you had financial issues and you were really on the bubble, then I think you got hit a lot harder. I mean, notwithstanding that obviously, there was a dramatic impact from service businesses to certain food businesses. But, you know, that aside, I think the franchisors who had trust, who their franchisees trusted them, they had relationships, they had goodwill, so to speak, right, um, built up over the years. I think those franchisors have fared better. I think you saw a fair amount of franchisors give loyalty relief when they really didn't have mm-hmm. to and be caring. 
And um, I've had a number of clients do that, and, and it has paid off. I mean, it has paid off in terms of the relationship. They, mm-hmm. Are we all in this together, or are we you know, yeah. fighting over the, the remaining scraps? And I think you yeah. saw a wide gambit of that. And those who had the we're all in this together attitude, um, I think, have fared a lot better. And, uh, and mm-hmm. deals are happening, right? I mean, it's November, but there, there are people who are signing up franchises mm-hmm. right now it is i think we're actually coming into a golden era i mean we'll you know we'll look back on this tape and see if it's right but i think 2021 mm-hmm. with some higher unemployment people who you know why do you franchise why do you buy a franchise why do you create a franchisor you know i mean it's it's to control it's to control your financial well-being it's you know people sometimes tease oh you're just going to buy a job well guess what People who got laid off in the pandemic sure wish they owned their job. I mean, if you own your yeah. own business, I, I, as I do, as you do, I think you actually ultimately have a little bit more control once you get past mm-hmm. that initial setup and you get over the hump. Um, you control it a lot more. So I think entrepreneurship is going to really thrive. And franchising answers that question of what am I going to do? So I think, I think the COVID and the pandemic – has really brought control to the forefront and the franchisors that had created a good environment and the culture and all those soft things that we talk about, they were the most important. They were the real fundamentals through this. And Uh um, so Uh anybody who's thinking of being a franchisor, don't overlook that fact, create a community, really what you're doing. You're creating this internal community of people who all want to be successful, want to learn from each other. And they're the ones who get those rocket ship values that, you know, you see. Yeah, most definitely. Um, Tom, I need to take a quick commercial break, but I tell you what, I love to hear stories. Um, Do you happen to have any that you could share with our listeners? Yeah, I would love to. uh, I'd love to share some stories. Wonderful. Uh, Folks, we will be right back with more from Tom Spadia after this commercial. Ready to update your tired old kitchen or bathroom? Then you need to call Gambone's Custom Home Improvements. Gambone's does all phases of remodeling, specializing in kitchen and bath remodels. Gambone's Custom Home Improvements is a company you can trust. Family owned and operated with an A-plus rating with a BBB. Call Gambone's today, 832-437-8898, or check them out on the web at GamboneCHI.com. That's GamboneCHI.com. Gambone's Custom Home Improvements, where you will get quality work at a quality price. Tune in every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. to Tough Talk Christian Radio with Tony Gambone. Tough Talk Christian Radio is for those who want to share and receive expressions of faith that will help you take the next step in your relationship with Christ. Listen in to hear from others about their experiences of faith and the love of Christ. Call in to share your experiences at 347-989-1363. Learn more by going to toughtalkchristianradio.com. Are you dreaming of owning your own business but just don't know where to begin? The wait is now over. Linda Ballestetos is a catalyst to becoming a business owner through franchising. Whether you are looking to create a living that will allow you to leave corporate America, change your lifestyle, allowing you to enjoy the fun things in life, or if you're looking to build a legacy that will support your family for years to come, contact Linda today to start the process of being your own boss. Linda at EmpowerFranchiseConsulting.com, 832-640-4922. 
Hey, folks, welcome back to All Things Franchising. So, Tom, when I broke for commercial break, I asked if you happen to have a story or two you could share with us. Yeah, so I, I guess, you know, in, in, um, in confidentiality, I, I won't sort of use the, uh, the real client name, but sure. I have a client who, who started franchising their journey, I guess it would have been about five years ago, six years ago. So it's a husband and wife. The husband got transferred to a city, to a new city. So wife was probably, their kids were in high school. You know, wife was like, oh, I don't really, you know, good business person, but, you know, decided to go, you know, with the husband and decided, okay, I'm going to start this business on the side. And, you know, years later when I met them, they said, you know, our whole goal was to start this business and just to pay the rent. If I didn't have to go out of pocket for any more rent, I would have been happy. So they start the business and it starts picking up steam. It starts becoming successful. And they start thinking, oh, man. And then people say, hey, can you teach me this business? And it was kind of like a craft thing with, you know, like one of these wine mm-hmm. things that goes back. Um, people come in and service and just super smart people. Just not – I mean think about not franchising wasn't even on their mind. Just even having a business that was going to grow and generate any kind of – you know. and then they said, hey, we're now making spending money. So you roll the clock forward. Another year goes by, and they're really doing well hiring people you know, waiting schedule for classes. So people approach them. Hey, we'd like to open our own. They have no thought about like, oh, I could be a franchise. So they start just a simple couple page licensing agreement. They're not thinking FDB. They're not thinking about this grand scheme. And so they go and they end up adding like maybe 15 of these. Now, now, as we could, we could have a whole conversation about, you know, licensing, FDD, but you know, people don't do this because they are being bad. They just do it because it grows organically. They're like, oh, you use my name, you pay me money, and I'll teach you how to do this business, which is essentially franchising, right? Mm-hmm. Then you start having problems with licensing. So people start saying, oh, thanks for teaching me. I'm going to change the name. There's no non-compete. There's nothing. You start realizing that I don't really have control over these people. So they find a consultant, a very good consultant, um, who referred me the business. And by the way, that's a whole other conversation. You got to be careful about the people who just say, oh, it's so franchising is so easy and that. So they end up getting a strategic plan together. They you know, spent some money on an operations manual and they started building that structure. Then they hired us. We cleaned up their trademark, as I mentioned. We cleaned up, we wrote them an FDD. We started registering in the States. We started going and kind of transitioning over the people who were licensees. And, and Business started going gangbusters. They knew they didn't get bogged down in the beginning on the paperwork. Now, yes, they should have been a legal franchise from day one, but that's okay. We fixed it. But they knew how to be a franchisor. They knew that they had to build a community, have people make money, and do. So now, roll the clock even forward. They ended up selling 150 units over five years. Wow. Open wow. doing great. So then I talked to the owner. And her husband, and you know, we developed a great relationship, and they're great people. They care about their franchisees, and then they start having this conversation about you know, value, and I started explaining to them what the business really was worth. I mean you're talking about you know, big numbers, you know, a business yeah. like that that started literally bootstrapping, that it was you know, paying 900 bucks a month in rent, and their whole goal was to just keep their rent, and now they're talking about a business that's per- worth probably close to $20 million. And it's like, really? That's the value? Okay, maybe we need a strategic partner here. And it's a wonderful – it makes me so happy because I always say that people, they started for the right reasons. Get in business, 
teach other people to do the business, coach them, get them to grow. But so if people always overestimate in the beginning how successful they're going to be. So they think they're going to be making all this money in the first year or two of franchising, right? Now, these folks didn't – they weren't handicapped by that because they came in the franchising completely sideways. But then they underestimate how big a valuation they're going to have at the end. So the curve is funny. It's like people think linear, right? Two plus two plus two plus two instead of multiplying two times two times two times two. Mm-hmm. So most clients underestimate or overestimate how successful they will be. And they underestimate how much it's going to cost in pain and dollars in the beginning. But they completely underestimate if they do it right, what kind of monster valuations they're going to have on the back end. So I, I think of that story because it's to me what gets me up in the morning. It's I get to help people build generational wealth. I love those stories. I love to just hear that thinking of like, wow. And this is a great client because I can't tell you how many times she would call with a problem with, and say, oh, my God, we need to put this in our agreement. And then we'd be like, oh, it's, it's in there. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Go to this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is, you know, this is what we do. Like, yeah. we, all franchise problems are typically the same. Like we're always going to see these recurring patterns because remember, you're in the franchising industry. It's its own industry. This is not the first time someone's tried to do this. But the mm-hmm. truth is only 20% maybe get to that level, maybe less, maybe 15%. And but that's not bad odds. I mean, so if you're thinking of franchising, you're going to put the time in, you're going to put the work in, you're buying a lottery ticket with a 15 to 20% chance of success. And people, you know, like you or like me or like in the industry are going to tell you how others have actually done that. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's not too bad. Absolutely. And there again, Tom, it goes back to, it doesn't make any difference what the widget is. You know, right. their widget sounds like it was very simple. And yep. um, and there are a lot of other widgets out there that are probably just as effective, um, but it was more about their mindset. It was more about them taking baby steps to begin with. And I think that's important to build that that uh, ultimate foundation that you're going to – they didn't even know that they were doing it. But right. Yeah. Well they said. were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's about the person. Yeah. It's about the person mm-hmm. more than the widget and, and the mindset, you know, really understanding, you know, and uh, and caring and coaching and, you know, just really, you know, back to what we were talking about with, with some of these hard times, yeah. the people who, who cared about the end results of their franchisees are the ones who do better. Right, exactly. Tom, we're up to uh, the end of the show here. And before I get started with those final questions, if someone's listening and they think, you know, well, my wife and I, we've got a really good little thing going on over here, and maybe we'd like to consider franchising that. How would they get in touch with you, and how would they find out more about working with you? Yeah, so, I mean, our website is a great, you know, www.spadialaw, S-P-A, like Sam Paul Apple, D-E-A, David Edward Apple, L-A-W, law.com. Um, or you can call, you know, our phone number, 215-525-1165. But, you know, our website probably is the best place to start. We make it pretty easy. There's a nice form. I mean, those forms, if you fill out a form on our website, that goes right to me personally. So you'll mm-hmm. you'll be called by, you know, someone on our team within an hour or two. And there's some videos there, more of these discussions, you know, 
you'll see this uh, podcast at some point posted up there. So we try to, I try to give people as much information as possible about the process because, you know, if you call our office, we're not going to just start telling you, you should franchise right away. I have clients that were writing their FDDs and franchise agreements now that I literally talked to three years ago and they weren't ready. Yeah. And I, look, we're yeah. lawyers. We got, we're busy. We got plenty of work, love what we do. We're playing the long game. Just what we preach the long game, we're playing it. So we're not going to, you know, it's better to start with a franchise attorney sometimes than necessarily a consultant. And I have lots of friends in this industry to say, oh, you need this piece? Let me, you know, they're not paying me a commission. I'm going to always point people in a direction to help them take those baby steps. Um, that's how you have to approach franchising. So, yeah, no, come to our website, get more of this info, call when you're ready, want to have a quick discussion. I, I love it. I enjoy these conversations. It's um, I really have a passion for it. Absolutely. So the final three questions are really more around the franchisee. So um, this will give us an opportunity to talk about the, the franchisee perspective here. So the first question is, if there is someone listening who's considering purchasing a franchise, what would you suggest that they do to prepare for the process? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think uh, doing research on franchising in general, I think that in the same mindset that we tell franchisors they're entering a different industry, I think if you're a prospective franchisee, you have to recognize that you're making two decisions. What widgets are you going to be selling or doing, producing? And are you the right personality to be a franchisee? So I think you have to, you have to think about that to prepare yourself it's leasing a car versus buying a car. Your money's going to go a lot further and you're going to have a lot more infrastructure, but you know, you're not going to have that, you know, shot at that 10 or $20 million that we talk about as a franchisor. So that, there's nothing wrong with that at all. It's your, it's the personality track. So I think you have to remember what you're doing as a franchisee before you even then say, okay, and now what approach? And I think you get a professional like yourself, to sift through the thousands of franchisors, there's no one good franchise to buy. If there was, everybody would buy it. That's why there's multiple flavors of ice cream. You know, what would be a perfect franchise for you is probably different for me. It's matching and being ready to talk to the franchisees in that system. Um, you know, mm -hmm. start thinking about that. Mm -hmm. Very, very good advice on that. Absolutely. So next question is, um, and, and we've touched on this. Um, what are two traits that make a successful franchisee? <laughs> that's, a good, that's a great question. So two traits that would make it. I mean, one is, um, you know, really being open-minded and being able to be part of a team. I, I, I think that's important. Um, I think that's a, that's a very important trait is, is, is having that mindset. And the other one is just being a hard worker. You know, if the franchisor tells you you need to do this 10 times a week, do it 20. They're the successful franchisees, people who just execute. They know how to execute. They put their head down, and they just keep execute, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, and they just start to build wealth that way. So I think that, that, that mindset of someone who can just put their head down and just execute, 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 and almost not be too creative, um, you know, in, in, in a sense, sometimes that trips up franchisees, is, is that would be a good trait, really being just a, mm -hmm. an A-plus execution. 
Absolutely. It's just plugging in and just repeating the formula over and over and over again with the confidence and the knowing that it will pay off, right? Yeah. Yeah, and if you don't have that yeah. confidence, it's it's probably not the right system for you, right? Mm-hmm. Don't go in with the mindset of, oh, I'm going to tweak these guys. Then you're you're in yeah. the wrong place. Yeah. Or having one foot in and one foot out. Right. You, know, you got to be all in. I, I would agree. Yep. And and when you're not, I give that advice, by the way, when I get franchisees will call me up upset with their franchisor, right? You can imagine. And many times mm-hmm. that's the advice I give. Look, just mm-hmm. sell. There's no shame in that. Cut your losses. Mm-hmm. Get out. You're not – why would you be in this marriage if you're not happy about it? It's time to move on. If you don't trust them anymore, it's time to move on, and there's nothing wrong with that. Franchisor will be happy. You'll be happy. It's not for you anymore. No shame in that. Go yep. buy a different one. Yep, yep, most definitely. So the final question here, Tom, is what does the future of franchising look like? And I think you talked a little bit about that as well, that 2020 and 2021 are going to be big years for it. But looking even further, what do you see the franchising, um, the future of franchising look like? Yeah, I, I, I'm optimistic. I mean, uh, the people who know me know that I'm optimistic by nature, but I'm very optimistic about franchising. I think it's just getting better and better. I, I think the transparency, you know, shows like this, I mean, the data that's out there, I think that we've refined the way people can research. It's harder for bad systems to stay in the shadows, right? Uh-huh. The people who we talked about who oversell 50 units. I think those brands are getting spotlights on them more and more. And so the more data we have, the the better people can make better informed choices. And and there's more transparency in the industry, which I welcome, I think is wonderful. And I think you're going to see franchising really grow over the next five to 10 plus years because it is the best invented way for someone to transition from you know, having a job that they maybe, you know, are not sure and there's whims to owning a small business that can provide for their family. It's all about keep the end in mind. And franchising mm-hmm. has solved that problem. Someone wants to provide for their family. You know, they're okay if they're making 100 grand a year, 120 grand a year, and they control their life and they take vacations. Life is good. Pay for your kids' college. That's the American dream. And franchising mm-hmm. answers that. And I think that the more turmoil you have, the more instability, the more that people will turn towards franchising because it's a much less risky proposition of opening a business under a successful franchise than it is going it alone. So yeah, I am, uh, I'm optimistic that as long as, you know, as long as there's capitalism and there's products that are in demand and services that are in demand, then I think franchising will always fill that niche as the best way to get it into every corner of the country. You know, if I'm here in Philly with a great product, but I want to bring that product into Atlanta. Franchising is probably the cleanest way to uh, do that and trying to open corporate stores and have managers. And, you know, the, the scalability of franchising is, is what it's about. Once you get past that point, it's easier for a franchisor to grow. And so, therefore, if you're looking at either side of the equation, um, you know, I think franchising is going to be around for, for a very long time. It's very stable. I think so as well. Tom, it's been great having you on the show today. One more time, if someone wants to find out more about um, you and how you might be able to help them, where would they go? Yeah, go to our website, 
spadialaw.com, S-P-A-D-E-A-L-A-W.com. You know, that, um, that's probably the best way to get a hold of me personally and, and, and learn more about franchising. Very good. Thanks again, Tom. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to staying in touch. Thanks again. See you soon, Linda. Bye-bye. Absolutely. So, folks, you know, now we've given you a little glimpse of what it looks like from the franchisor's perspective. Uh, so just think about that. It may not be something that you would want to do for, as becoming a franchisor. It's not easy. There's a, there are risks in both sides. That brings me to my quote for today. Almost everything worthwhile carries with it some sort of risk, whether it's starting a new business, whether it's moving to a new place, whether it's getting married, or whether it is flying a spaceship. This is a quote by Chris Hadfield. He's an astronaut. So even astronauts have challenges. So thanks again, folks, for joining me today on All Things Franchising, and we'll see you next time. Another great episode of All Things Franchising is now in the books. You can listen to past shows by following All Things Franchising on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for joining us today, and be sure not to miss us next time when we bring you a brand new episode of All Things Franchising.